family life can be both rewarding and frustrating. That is why we are here to strengthen families with quality information and support to meet the many challenges they face. Welcome to In Support of Families. Parents all over the world have been through the same trials that you are facing. Your host, Emma Lou Penrod, is here to help with valuable parenting tips for a happy, orderly home. Welcome back. This is Emily Penrod, and I have with me today Timothy Clark. He's the founder and CEO of Leader Factor, a consulting, coaching, and training organization. Dr. Clark is an international authority in the fields of psychological safety and innovation, large-scale change and transformation, and senior leadership development. He's the author of Leading with Character and Competence and several other books. His new book, The Four Stages of Psychological Safety, Defining the Path to Inclusion and Innovation, will be released March 2020. Dr. Clark earned a PhD in social science from Oxford University. Tim, it's great to have you here. Thank you, Emily. It's a pleasure to be with you. And I had to choke back the desire to call you Dr. Clark, because that's my background. Yeah, you don't want to do that. That's a little (laughs) presumptuous. Tim is fine. Tim is fine. All right. Well, you know, I was just really excited to read a little bit about your book coming up, because I... I see how this can, I, I'm sure it's going to be phenomenal, phenomenally beneficial in business and in the workplace. But I see it applying, you know, this is, this is valuable information for teachers, anyone in a classroom, really anyone in any relationship. You know, everybody has a journey, especially when you write a book and start a business. Tell us about your journey. Well, my journey is perhaps a little bit unusual. So I went to school with the intent to be a professor. That's what I wanted to do. And when we came back from England, my wife and I, we were not quite done with the dissertation. That's the big research project that you have to do. And so I I had to get a job. We were uh, poor. The ramen budget was gone. So I I found a job thinking that I would work for a year and then go get a teaching position somewhere at a university. Well, it kind of didn't work out that way. I went into business and stayed. I went into heavy manufacturing and became a plant manager. And my professional life took a different course. And so that gave me an opportunity, though, to test the theory that I had learned at Oxford to see what really worked, what was true and what wasn't. And that really led me on that journey that has brought me to this point. So I've, I've always been deeply interested in the areas of organizational culture. And so a few years ago, I started doing a comprehensive review of all of the research in this area of psychological safety. 
Now, for your listeners, let me just mention, Emily, they may not be familiar with this term. So psychological safety is actually a very simple concept, and it, it means that you can interact with others in any kind of social unit or setting without feeling embarrassed or marginalized or punished in some way. So you feel, you feel safe in that environment. That's what psychological safety means. And in, in my research and through my own experience, I realized just how important this is. So this book is the, the target audience. Well, you know, you have to write to a primary audience. So I'm, I'm writing to, I guess, the primary audience is business leaders. But the truth is, I'm writing to all, everyone. I'm, I'm writing to, to the entire human family because these these concepts are relevant to all of us. And it doesn't matter if you're in business or uh, family life or education, wherever you may be, I think you'll find the concept extremely relevant and timely. Oh, I agree. I, I certainly did. So uh, maybe I could explain a little bit about the, the four stages that I lay out, Emily, in the book. Oh, yes, definitely. I, I was hoping you'd go there. Okay, so what what I have discovered is that there's really a universal pattern uh, when it comes to psychological safety, and there's a natural progression through four stages based on the, the human needs that we have. So this first stage of psychological safety is what we call inclusion safety, and that is based on the very basic innate need that we have to be included, to be accepted, to belong. And that's where it all starts. And so if you watch people, it doesn't matter if you're on a team or in the local, you're a member of the local PTA, or it it doesn't matter the social grouping, the neighborhood book club, a corporation. When you go into a new organization or a new social setting of any kind, what are you worried about? You're worried about fitting in. You're worried about belonging. You're worried about whether that the people will accept you. So that's always step one. We call that inclusion safety. If you don't get that, then you don't cross over that threshold of inclusion. But if you do, then you're granted a shared identity with the others And so now you have a foundation of belonging in place. So that's stage one. And that applies to the classroom beginning the new school year. I think it would apply to a blended family or the newlyweds. It does any social, any social collective, any social unit. That's right. Yeah. Just think about the, think about students when they begin the school year, think about the, the fear and the anxiety that they have about fitting in. Think about a young high school student in the lunchroom. She walks by and she sees some, some kids that perhaps she doesn't know very well. And she says, Hey guys, do you mind if I eat lunch with you? The answer to that question, that's a, that's a crucial moment, isn't it? That's a moment of truth. The answer to that question will either grant her inclusion safety, or they will, they will withhold it. And that's what we as humans do. We have the ability to welcome people 
into our personal society or not. And we do that every day. And we all know what it's like to, to feel excluded or marginalized or embarrassed or humiliated in that way. So it sounds like that's a really good first step is making sure everyone feels included. Sure. So let's, let's talk about the second stage of psychological safety, which is learner safety. Now, let's go back and let's just talk about what is required for psychological safety overall. Psychological safety is a function of two things. Number one, respect. So the respect that you feel. And number two, the permission to participate that you feel. Those two things coming together. So when we go to learner safety, this, this now is the stage at which we feel safe to learn. What does that mean? Well, that means to engage in the discovery process, to ask questions, give and receive feedback, experiment, even make mistakes. So the individual has to feel safe in doing those things. And learner safety, obviously, it exposes you to a higher level of personal risk and vulnerability. Because you could, you, you, and, and we see this with students all the time. So let me give you an example. So one of the case studies in the book is uh, about a calculus teacher. His name is Craig B. Smith. He teaches calculus at the high school level, and he is one of the best calculus teachers in the nation based on his statistics and arguably perhaps the best. And I had the opportunity, Emily, to spend a lot of time observing in his classroom and interviewing him and interviewing his students. And it was a remarkable experience. What he does is, first of all, personally, when he begins class with a new, uh, new group of students, he, he, withhold, he withholds judgment about their ability to learn calculus. And what he said to me is, he said, Tim, I, I assume that every student can learn calculus. I've seen too many academic miracles in my life. And so some of them may process slower or faster, but I believe they can all learn it. So that's my operating assumption. The other thing that he does is he separates mistakes from failure. So he pulls those two apart because in a learning environment, often those two are connected. And so if you go into his classroom, what you'll see is quite astonishing. You'll see students who have no hesitation, no inhibition about asking questions, no, no uh, fear about making mistakes because he has completely removed those forces and he's replaced them with the understanding that mistakes are the way forward. That's how we learn and grow. That's how we advance. He has established a different set of norms in his classroom, and it's absolutely remarkable. Because as we know, learning is a, it's a, it's a process that is both intellectual and emotional. You cannot separate the two. Uh, as humans, uh, we're, we're not just rational processing machines. That's not how we work. The, the emotional process is interwoven with the intellectual process. 
And so we have, there has to be great sensitivity to that. Let me give you a, a statistic that will, will blow your minds for all of you listeners out there. A student, a high, a high school student in America drops out of school every 26 seconds. So I want you to think about that. Now you have to ask the question, why is that? Barring any significant or legitimate learning disability, most of these students can do the work. They have the mental bandwidth to do the work and to be successful in high school and graduate. So why are they dropping out? Is it an intellectual issue? No, it's not. It's an emotional issue. It's a matter of confidence. They don't feel the support. And so uh, what they do is, is they eventually, they just give up. And that's really the pattern when you dig in and you look at the qualitative data and the, the root cause analysis as to why these students are dropping out. So schools and teachers and parents quit students before the students quit themselves. That's always the pattern. I was just going to say, I, I have observed that myself. I was a high school teacher for a number of years. And what you were, you were describing that calculus teacher, that is huge. Normally, more, it's more common in the higher level math classes to see students just sitting there silent, hoping that that one brave student will ask the question. They're all longing to ask themselves, right. but don't dare. So, and I agree. I agree with they have to feel comfortable to ask questions and not That's be right. ridiculed. Because here's what, what happens, and, and you know this very well, Emily, from your uh, your career as an educator, every human has what we call a self-censoring instinct and fear triggers that self-censoring instinct. And when that happens, we recoil, we retreat, we hold back. And so if a student is in an environment that triggers his or her self-censoring instinct, that student is going to freeze up, that student is not going to learn, or at the very least will be learning at a much slower pace and less effectively. And that is why a, a classroom or any other social unit has to be drained of fear because it does trigger that self-censoring instinct. And then as I said, we have to disconnect fear from mistakes. They cannot be they cannot be connected. So they have to be disassociated. That's very, very important. I liked your comment that they, you separate mistakes from failure. And, and this applies to a family too. If the child doesn't feel safe to speak, you, you see teenagers who stop talking to their parents. They're no longer communicating. And this is a big problem. Yes, it's it's very true and so it is it is we all have to ask ourselves in in a family setting as parents as uh, husband and wife as sons and daughters what are we doing to nurture and cultivate psychological safety in the relationships that we have because it's in those it's in that environment that we really flourish and we do our best work we perform at the highest levels. And so I, uh, what I argue in the book is that 
inclusion safety is a moral requirement. Unless someone, unless some, someone threatens you with harm, you are morally obligated to invite that person into your personal society. And then, of course, with learner safety, the social exchange is that I will encourage your learning in exchange for you engaging in the learning process. But there's a caveat, and that is that we need to, as teachers or parents or anyone in a leadership position, we need to act first because sometimes people don't have confidence to learn and we have to, we have to be the one that, that has sometimes even greater confidence than they have until they can start gaining that confidence. And so we have to encourage that learning. Sometimes we don't see the engagement coming, the reciprocation on the other side, but we have to be the first mover and we have to be willing to take that role because it takes time for people to, to really gain the confidence to come out and engage in learning risk because there's risk associated with it. Oh, yes, definitely. Right. Awesome. Okay, so then we go to the third stage of psychological safety, which is contributor safety. Now, contributor safety, again, now is satisfying the basic human need to be able to use your abilities and skills and knowledge and experience and make a difference. That's what human beings want to do. After they learn, there's a natural desire to want to use and apply what they have learned. And so that's what, this is contributor safety. This is where we participate in the value creation process with other people. We are a full-fledged member of the team and we're contributing. So that's contributor safety. That's the third stage. And again, that requires an even higher level of psychological safety so that, that, that we feel safe to do that in the environment. Otherwise, again, if that, self, if that self-censoring instinct is triggered, then we're, we're going to retreat, right? That, that to me is um, rather ironic to think that parents who feel, I'm not going to ask my child to do any chores around their house, that's my responsibility, are actually denying them the opportunity to contribute to the family. Well, it's a great disservice because the only way that you can build capacity is that you have to leave your comfort zone and you have to travel to your outer limits. There is no other way. There's no shortcut. There's no, there's no tonic. There's no gimmick that can allow that to happen. And so particularly for children and teenagers who are going through the phase of identity formation, one of the critical pieces of that will be developing a work ethic and Uh, being able to contribute and accomplish. There will be failure along the way. That's normal. But the achievement and the accomplishment is its own reward. And there's nothing that can substitute for that. So it's very, very important that children are contributing from a young age and they're doing what they can. I like the expression, some days you win and some days you learn. There there are really no failures that you're just learning experiences. That's true. Mistakes are great tutors. They teach us a great deal. 
As a matter of fact, Emily, you, you might find this interesting. So when I'm working with executives, with an executive team, I will often ask them to send me a resume of failure. So I don't want your regular resume that, that shows all of your accomplishments and achievements. That's fine. But I want your resume of failure. I want you to list on a piece of paper the top three to five most spectacular failures that you've had in either personal or professional life, write them down, and then, and then explain what you learned from each one. And without exception, that is a, uh, a profound experience for them because we learn a great deal from our failures. They, in many cases, are our greatest teachers. That's very true. Yes. Okay, so let's go to the fourth stage, the culminating stage, the last stage of psychological safety, which is called challenger safety. Now, you got to think about this one. This is where psychological safety needs to be at the highest possible level. And, and here's why. Because challenger safety is the ability to challenge the status quo. It's feeling safe to challenge the status quo, again, without retaliation, without, without damaging my personal reputation and standing. So this, this is now the highest level of personal risk and vulnerability. It's at the highest, it's, it's at the peak because we're talking about challenging the way things are done. We're talking about, and, and, that, and that's um, in, in the model, what, what I, I say, I label that as the threshold of innovation because innovation by its very nature is disruptive and subversive of the status quo. And so we can't innovate. We can't improve unless we're willing to challenge the way that we're do, doing things, our, our assumptions, our beliefs. Uh, and the reason that that's hard is because, as we all know, as human beings, we become very calcified and very fossilized in our thinking and in the way we do things. And so when, and when, we, when someone comes along and wants to challenge that, it's very easy for us to, to, get, to feel threatened and to be offended by that. And yet, that's, we need challenger safety in order to incubate innovation, in order to make things better. So think about that in your own lives. And it's not just in a business setting. It's the same is true in a family or a school or an, an athletic team or whatever, whatever organization you may be a part of. You are always looking forward into the future and you're, you're asking yourself, how can we make this better? What do we need to change? That's, uh, that's something that we all face. We need adaptive capacity in every organization. Therefore, we need challenger safety to allow people to, to challenge. Well, you see challenger uh, safety all through the history of our nation. I mean, that's how we got started was challenging the status quo. And, and that's how we've had the industrial revolution and all the advances in technology. But, you know, my last teaching assignment was at a private school 
where we didn't have all those federal requirements. And I saw the greatest innovation, the greatest progress there because they could do that. They could say, what we've been doing isn't working. Let's throw that out. Mm -hmm. Let's try this instead. Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. Let me, let me frame this a in a unique way, Emmalou, that your listeners might be able to appreciate. And this may be a, a, a framework that they've never heard of. So the job of a leader is to, in many ways, to increase intellectual friction and decrease social friction at the same time. Now, why would we want to do that? Because it's through intellectual friction, that creative abrasion, that constructive dissent, that we solve problems, that we discover solutions. That's the process that allows it to happen. We need the oil of collaboration, which is the psychological safety, that challenger safety that allows us to do that. And so a leader, whether you are a parent or a teacher or a coach or a business manager, one of your, your central role in many ways is to create a culture or an ecosystem of intellectual bravery where there's a high tolerance for candor and people are willing to dissent. You give people a license to disagree and they're willing to use it. They have to believe that they can do that. If, if, if they can't, right, if they don't believe that, if you push the fear button as a leader, then again, they'll retreat and you will not have been able to draw them out, to draw out their talents and their thinking and their input and their feedback. And so what does that lead to? It leads to groupthink, homogenized thinking, which becomes very, very dangerous because we're not, we're not collaborating, right? We, we, we are not collaborating and our interactions have become very constrained and artificial. So I would, I would uh, just encourage the listeners to think about that. To what extent are you increasing intellectual friction and decreasing social friction in your organization, in your social unit? I love that distinction, you know, that collaboration isn't groupthink. It's not that we're all being polite and nobody wants to disagree with anyone else, but that you and that that increasing intellectual friction while decreasing social friction. It's not just arguing and, you know, being intolerant of each other either. It's feeling that, that to me, now let me know if I understand this correctly, decreasing social friction, which again is what every family wants. That's right. And it's ideal in the classroom, means that everyone feels comfortable to express their thoughts in an appropriate manner. I totally agree. And, and allowing that, mm -hmm. while at the same time encouraging them to think for themselves. That's right. And that's exactly what, what we've got to do in all social units. People have got to feel that, that the, the freedom and the safety to do that. So again, that comes back to the level of respect that I feel and the level of permission that I feel. Those two things coming together. 
Well, it sounds like not only worthwhile information for families and, and schools and classrooms, you provide excellent services for businesses. Uh, you know, I, I understand that most people don't lose their job because they can't do the work. It's because they have problem getting along with coworkers or their supervisor. That's very true. How much does this save business? when you do this training and now they know how to create this atmosphere of psychological safety? Well, it's become crucial, Emily, because in business, you, you can only survive if you have some kind of competitive advantage. And that competitive advantage is, it's not a permanent thing. It's a perishable thing. It goes away. Yeah. And it goes away even faster in a dynamic environment. And so the key to your long-term success will be your ability to innovate and your ability to innovate will be based on the psychological safety that you create and nurture in the culture, in the environment of that organization. And so really we've come to a place now in the 21st century where psychological safety is absolutely crucial to survival. And as you said, it's also crucial to, uh, keep, keeping a hold of your, your top talent because what we're finding is that top talent, they go into organizations and if it's not psychologically safe, they don't want to stay. And so the organizations that can't supply that, they will eventually bleed out their top talent because the top talent, they want to go and contribute and flourish and, and make a difference. And, and so they're going to be looking for an environment that allows them to do that. So it's, it's crucial in the business world. It's really crucial at home. It's crucial at school. Uh, and um, so I think that's the universal application of this concept of psychological safety. And your book is coming out in March. So where do people find a copy? Oh, all major booksellers, Amazon and anywhere else uh, you can, You'll, you'll be able to find it everywhere and it is available for pre-order now. Awesome. And we, I'll be adding the link to your website and also how people can contact you through uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, and those are the best ways for people to contact you for more information. Yeah. 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 All of those ways, LinkedIn website, those are probably the two best. All right, we'll have those links on our website. Tim, thank you so much for the benefit of your wealth of knowledge gained over several years' experience. And and you know, I I I you are not the yours is not the only story that had some unexpected twists and turns. I think to me that's you're on a path. <laughs> it's not unusual to end up. Yeah, that's probably not. That's probably true, isn't it? Yes. But that's what makes it rewarding, and and that's what helps us stretch and learn and grow. And so I'm, I'm glad for the for the path that I have had. Yes, and you have shared several gems that parents and educators can apply right away and start implementing. I, I'm hoping, you know, that listeners will share what they, how, what they got out of this, what they intend 
to do, change, do differently, or maybe just do more of. Maybe you've also provided some validation for I hope so. Parents. I hope so. There, there are so many fabulous parents and teachers and coaches and mentors out there and they are they have a profound impact on on people's lives and so i hope that this is validating and affirming to to all of those people that do create psychological safety and are allowing people to thrive and flourish uh, indeed i'm sure it will and encourage anyone who's listening to comment share what you've learned share what you do and how you're going to use it so Tim, thank you again so much for your time. Thank you, Emily. It's been a privilege to be on with you. All right, and you have a great day. Thanks very much. We have just concluded another episode of In Support of Families. If you enjoyed the show and found it valuable, we appreciate you leaving us a review or recommending us to your friends. For more helpful resources, visit our website at insupportoffamilies.com. Join us again next week, and thanks for listening.